Good morning, Trinity Lutheran Church. <laughs> Thank you for that response. Nice to see you all here. It is still Epiphany. It's the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. And the theme this morning talks a lot about water, the woman at the well. And so this, this song brings that, that text in uh, from the gospel, but also brings in a lot of Old Testament references to God's faithfulness over the years. So the water I give, there will be a, uh, the antiphon, the refrain on the wall for you. So sing along whenever that is comfortable. The water I give. All who drink the water I give will never thirst again. This fountain springs within, bringing life eternal to them. I remember the days of old. I ponder the works of your hand. I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like desert land. All who drink the water I give will never thirst again. This fountain springs within bringing life eternal. generations to come might know their heirs yet to be born that they too may rise and tell their children that they should put their hope in God and not forget the deeds of God but keep God's commands all who Before their forebears, God did wondrous deeds, divided the sea before them and brought them through, and made water stand as in a mound. All who drink the water I give will never thirst again. This fountain spring. cloud by day and all night with a glow of fire and cleft the rocks in the desert and gave them water in copious floods and the streams flowed from stone and brought waters Thank you, Carl, Jim, Ron. Thank you for being here every Sunday and blessing us with music. Thank you for being here. Are you happy to be here? Yeah. That's what I like to hear. And uh, all those online, welcome to you. Everyone's waving at you as well here. We're happy that you are joining us wherever you are joining us from today. Uh, you may remember two years ago, uh, I told you this would all be over in May. I told you that two years ago. I still believe that. May, this will all be over. It's going to be warm in the sanctuary again. We're going to get rid of the mask. It is coming. We are going to get through this. 
and thank you for coming out to worship this morning. It's the fourth Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany means revelation. So what's Jesus up to today? How, what, what's our journey? Where's our journey going to take us? It's going to take us to a little tour of the Holy Land today. That's where we're headed. But now, wherever you've been, however long you've been away from the church, wherever your journey has taken you, we begin with a hymn, All Are Welcome, because all are welcome in this place. I'd invite you to stand. We worship together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All are welcome. Lord Jesus, open our hearts and minds to your truth. May our worship be pleasing to you, 
And may we depart from this place refreshed and ready to live our lives in response to the amazing grace that you have showered upon us. We pray in the strong but gentle name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Come forward and read for us and listen carefully because we're going to be coming back to this text. The first lesson is from Micah 6, with verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word of the Lord. Like the warm out of old, each day we go to the wellsprings of life to find Jesus there. Some days the well seems dry, we can't reach the water, it's too hard some days. Our legs won't take us, our hearts are aching, crying like the woman of old. Each day we go to the wellsprings of life to find Jesus there. Someday's our minds are reeling, there's two much happening we need to stop some days our souls are parched we need the water so thirsty like the woman of old each day we go to the wellsprings of life to find Jesus there some Some days we're resurrected, we feel new life inside us. Some days our faith moves mountains, we feel life's glory, earth and heaven like the warm and Thank you for taking us to Wellspring, and thank you for being here. It makes a difference. I think it makes a difference for your wake, I'm guessing, but it really makes a difference to us that you're here, and so we so appreciate it. And, uh, 
appreciate the, too those who are with us online this morning. I'm going to start with a question for you, kind of massage your brain a little bit, your memory. Does anybody here remember the year 2010? <laughs> Half of you, that's pretty good. 2010, in some ways it seems like a long time ago, Barack Obama was in the White House, devastating earthquakes in Haiti and Chile left hundreds of thousands of people dead. The first iPad was released. The president of Niger was ousted by a military coup. The Deepwater Horizon accident in the Gulf of Mexico resulted in the largest marine oil spill in history. Meanwhile, in 2010, three old guys and Carl were touring the country <laughs> singing 50-year-old songs to 80-year-old kids. 2010, was it a long time ago? Or was it only yesterday? Are those old headlines, or were those this morning's news feeds? I wrote a sermon in January of 2010. It was preached from this pulpit this week in 2010. I just want to give you a short excerpt from that sermon. In our country, we've experienced an economic downturn, the likes of which most of us have never seen. These are hard times for the middle class, those on fixed incomes, and the working poor. I am struck by the level of anxiety, uncertainty, and fear that is being experienced in our families. Wall Street may have mostly bounced back, but the recovery has not yet made it to Main Street. Many of our families find themselves in desperate straits. I have talked to so many in our congregation and in our community who are just holding on, making lifestyle changes, hoping to survive the night of darkness. I am struck, too, by the heavy loads and stress levels that are present in every family. Caregivers work around the clock. There is little respite. Emotionally and physically, they are drained. Couples do not get along, parents worry about their children, grandparents worry about their grandchildren, and middle-agers find themselves caring for two generations. If you know a family that is not under stress in these times, then it is my guess that you do not really know that family. There you go, folks. That was 12 years ago this week. Was it a long time ago, or was it only yesterday? The Bible reminds us that there's nothing new under the sun. The basic human condition has not changed much in the last 3,000 years. Familiar human stories are repeated year after year after year. Birth and death, betrayal and faithfulness, laughter and tears. The names and locations, they change, but the storylines remain mostly the same. And what is God up to while all this is going on? Well, God has been working with the descendants of Eve and Adam in an attempt to change the human story for the better. But i got to tell you, working with humans is not easy. It has always been two steps forward, one step back. You see, God tried almost everything to help these free will humans to change their stories. Covenants were made. Laws were given. Prophets spoke. And finally, a baby was born in Bethlehem. God's stated goal is a more abundant life for the children of every land and every race. That's the plan. So how do we fit in? What does the Lord expect from us? Or as you just heard Pam raise the question, what does the Lord require of us? Now over the centuries, religious people got involved. And when religious people get, get involved, everything gets complicated. 
And so what does the Lord require of us? This is what it sounded like in Jesus' day. You must be circumcised. You must not eat shellfish. You can't cook on the Sabbath day. You must stay away from foreigners. Women must not wear men's clothes. And men must not wear women's clothes. You must not tattoo your skin. You must not attempt to contact the dead. You must not converse with wizards. There are hundreds more, folks. I could go on for a long time. Hundreds more. Why does everything have to be so complicated? What does the Lord require? Some 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God answered that question. You just heard it through the words of the prophet Micah. Here's the answer. What does the Lord require? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. That's it. I'll bet you could memorize that this week. So we're going to go on our tour now. We're going to go on the tour of the Holy Land if you're ready to go. Our first stop after a passport check is Nazareth. Two months from now, I will be in Nazareth. It will be busy, lots of traffic. Our bus will drop us off a few blocks from an amazing church. Pilgrims from across the world will scurry in and scurry out back to their bus. There's the church there. Inside that church are beautiful portrayals of Mary. It is called the Church of the Annunciation, and it is built on top of the ancient ruins of Nazareth, the small, unimportant village that was the home of Mary, the village where Jesus grew up. The Church of the Annunciation, you do remember the Annunciation, do you not? We encountered it on our last trip to Nazareth, just before Christmas. It was an epiphany of sorts for Mary. God was up to something, and Mary was going to be a part of it. Listen now to the Annunciation. These words would change the trajectory of Mary's life. An angel went from God to a town called Nazareth to a woman whose name was Mary. The angel said to her, Rejoice, O highly favored, for God is with you. You shall bear a child, and his name shall be Jesus, the chosen one of God most high. And Mary said, I am the servant of my God. I live to do your will. Thanks to Carl and thanks to Marty Haugen. That's the Annunciation. The Annunciation to Mary that happened in Nazareth. Rejoice, so highly favored. You are going to have a baby. And Mary's initial response, not recorded there, was, it can't be true. But when it was clear that she could not argue with an angel, she simply said, let it be. Let it be according to God's will. And with that, Mary departed. And Mary quickly left Nazareth. She traveled to a village set on a hill outside of Jerusalem, En-Karim. That's our next stop. She arrived there at the home of her aunt Elizabeth who was pregnant, you might remember, with little John the Baptist. The babies jumped, the women cried, the women danced, and Mary, now moved by the Holy Spirit, Mary would sing a new song, one that reflected the very heart of God and God's desire for justice and kindness and humility. Mary's Magnificat. My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, and my spirit rejoices in you. You have looked with love on your servant here and blessed me all my life through. Great and mighty are you, O Holy One. Strong is your kindness evermore. How you favor the weak and lowly one, 
humbling the proud of heart. You have cast the mighty down from their thrones and uplifted the humble of heart. You have filled the hungry with wondrous things and left the wealthy no part. Great and mighty are you, O faithful one, strong is your justice, strong your love. As you promised to Sarah and Abraham, kindness forevermore. My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, and my spirit rejoices in you. You have looked with love on your servant here and blessed me all my life through. We mustn't forget that this is how the whole Jesus story started. Kindness, justice, the oppressed are set free, the poor are lifted out of poverty, while the wealthy and the proud would be humbled. Nazareth and Karim. And now we go to our next stop, Bethlehem. Nine months after the angel's visit, it's Christmas. And who is invited to the party on Christmas? You know who was invited. Poor shepherds were the first to arrive. Unclean Arabs from across the desert rolled in on their camels. The prince of peace was born in a barn. And who was absent? The wealthy, the proud, and the religious people. 30 years pass now. It's time for us to uh, return to the hill country of Galilee, so get back on the bus. We're going back to Nazareth. We come to the synagogue in Nazareth. Now, think about this for a moment. This synagogue in Nazareth was Jesus' home church. It was the church of his youth. He was raised there. He went to Sunday school there on Saturday. He took handfuls of cookies at the coffee hour. This was his home synagogue. He dressed up as a wise man for the Christmas play. He sold tulips for the band trip to Jericho. The people knew Jesus here. He was Joseph and Mary's oldest son. In fact, everyone in the village knew everyone. It was like Green Bank before the Californians got here. <laughs> you see, Nazareth is just a wide spot in the road. No one moved in, and it was rare that anyone moved out. The townspeople all knew Jesus. They had watched him grow up, and then what happened? Well, a few months ago, he just disappeared. The last time anyone had seen Jesus, he was walking out of Nazareth, heading for the Jordan River. He had left a sign on the carpenter's shop that said, closed, open tomorrow at 8 a.m. But he never came back. They put his photo on a milk carton. They wondered if they'd ever see him again. He was just missing. And then weeks later, something strange happened. Reports started filtering back to Nazareth. There was a report from a traveling salesman who said someone saw Jesus. They saw him at a wedding in Cana, and not only that, the rumor is that he turned water into wine. Well, that got all the townsfolk talking. Everyone was talking. But could it have been the same Jesus? Then there was a visitor from Capernaum. The visitor came, and he said that he had heard Jesus teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And he said it was powerful stuff. It was revolutionary stuff. He said that the rabbi Jesus was now gaining quite a following. Now keep in mind, for 30 years, Jesus lived and worked among these people. He was smart, yes. He was polite, yes. Respected, yes. But a rabbi, no way. Jesus returns home now. He walked into town. And the people were happy to see him. After all, they wanted him to fix their broken chair. They'd been waiting for that promised dining room table that he was going to make for them. 
But it was a Sabbath day. There would be no work. Now, it had been Jesus' custom all of his life for 30 years to go to church on the Sabbath day, and so he did. Now, if you're not Jewish, let me uh, share with you some Jewish protocol that will help you understand our text as we go on. If you're going to read a text in the synagogue, you do what Pam just did. You stand up. You stand up, you read slowly, and you enunciate every word. Got it? But if you're going to read, you stand up. But if you're a rabbi, what are you going to do? If you're a rabbi, you don't stand up. No, you sit down in the teaching place. You sit to teach. You stand to read. You sit to teach. It was 9 o'clock on a Saturday. The usual crowd shuffled in. They find their assigned seats, just as you have this morning. And with that, Jesus stood up to read. The scroll that was handed to him was from the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the scroll, and he quickly finds the text he's looking for, and he reads it. And here it is. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Well, two of the older men had nodded off by now. Church will do that to you. The sanctuary is a place of rest, you know. And keep, keep in mind, too, that these old men had an excuse. I mean, they had heard this text a hundred times before. They had been waiting for the promised Messiah forever. But that long-awaited Messiah never came, and the Romans were still oppressing them. And every day, Herod got richer, and they got poor. Jesus was talking, and they're like, blah, 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 we'll take a nap. It was 9 o'clock on a Sabbath day, and the usual crowd shuffles in. There's a man sitting next to me with a yarmulke and a double chin. Where was I? Jesus was standing, reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he had no one's attention. No one was really paying attention. It was, just this, it was the carpenter's kid reading on the Sabbath. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. With that, Jesus was done. He rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. You do remember what I taught you. Stand up to read, sit down to teach. He sat down in the teaching chair reserved for the rabbis. Now, could it be that the report was true, that Jesus, the one that they had known and watched grow up, somehow miraculously had become a great teacher and miracle worker? No, not likely. He sat down. He was about to teach. And now the eyes of the entire community were clearly fixed on Jesus. His teaching would be nine words long. That's right, he had a nine-word sermon. I'll work on that for next week. <laughs> nine words. Jesus sat down and said, today. 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 That's one word, but I emphasize that. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. Could it be? Could it be that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah? There was a hushed silence. He'd only spoken those five words, but those were big words to speak. And then someone said, wait a minute. That's Mary and Joseph's kid. He broke my window with a baseball 20 years ago. Oh, yes, and I changed his diaper when he was a baby. Show us a miracle, Jesus, and maybe we'll believe you. Prove yourself, Jesus. But Jesus was not about to prove himself. There would be no miracles in Nazareth. He replied, no prophet is respected in their own hometown. There be no miracle. And the people scoffed. Then Jesus offended the hometown crowd. By reminding them that the love of God and the miracles of God never were exclusive to the Jewish people. He said that God had a soft spot in God's heart for foreigners. 
And if they rejected Jesus, it would be their loss because there were plenty of others who were ripe to hear good news. Well, now the people, more than offended, they were mad. Who did he think he was to proclaim himself a prophet or the Messiah? Who did he think he was reminding them of God's concern for unclean foreigners? This uppity kid preaching to us. They were mad. Now, how mad were they? They drove him out of town. And they were prepared to throw him off a cliff. That's how offensive the good news can sound to self-righteous religious people. They were prepared to throw him off a cliff. What happens next? Somehow Jesus just slipped away from them. Slipped away from them and slipped out of town, back to Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And you know what? Jesus would never, never return to Nazareth again. Wow, what a story, huh? So what? What now? What are we going to do with this? Well, first we recognize that Jesus had a mission. It was God's age-old mission that we've talked about. He came that all races and lands might have abundant life. That had been God's mission since the Garden of Eden. But I have to tell you, friends, that, you know, there is precious little abundant life if your stomach is growling and your children are starving to death. There's precious little peace if the masses are oppressed, if the poor live under the thumb of the powerful and the oppressors spend all of their time trying to protect their wealth and position. The result is that no one wins. Now, if we realize it or not, we're better off when everyone has food and shelter and security. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. That's how it started. That's what it's been about all along. And Jesus says, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, this was his first sermon. And it would set the tone for everything that followed. What does the Lord require of you? Let's be clear. God does not care about the length of your hair. And God does not care about that tattoo on your leg or your back. That's not offensive to God. God does not care what clothes you wear. And if you want to waste your money on a fortune teller or conversing with wizards or cowardly lions or scarecrows, so be it. You know, most church rules have nothing to do with God. They're all about control. They're not about grace. And the sins, the sins of your past, are just that, past. History. You can't go back, so God encourages to let it go and go forward. The past, history, only serves us in that it informs our behavior going forward. 2022, a clean slate is ours. But do you remember 2010? Hard times, uncertainty, anxiety, families at wit's end. This is the way life is, folks. Every generation, every human story, Every person you meet is burdened. Every person is carrying a heavy load. Everyone is insecure and afraid. And every few years, there are a crisis of one kind or another, a crash or a pandemic. And given that reality, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Justice, kindness, humility. Could those maybe be our goals? In the year 2022, can we refuse to be distracted by bad news and follow Jesus as we are able every single day? You know, someone asked me this last week, said, are people good or are people bad? My response was yes. 
good or bad, that's not the Christian question. The real question is, are we trying? Are we trying to do better today than we did yesterday? Are we trying to be a little more loving today than yesterday? Are we trying to be more forgiving? Are we trying to be more humble, more concerned with creation, more sympathetic, quick to offer a hand, and slow to render a judgment? What does the Lord require of you from the prophets of old to the Magnificat of Mary to the ministry of Jesus? It has always been the same, and it's easy to remember. It's not complicated. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. For when our life is over, when it's all been said and done, riches and titles will mean nothing. Justice, kindness, humility, and love. Let that be our legacy. Amen? Amen. Just stay right where you're at. When it's all been said and done, there is just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and treasure will mean nothing only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time Lord your mercy is so great That you look beyond our weakness And find purest gold in miry clay Making sinners into saints I will always sing your praise Here on earth and everlasting for you've shown me heaven's my true home when it's all been said and done. You're my life when life is gone. When it's all been said, I there is just one thing that matters Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? Lord, I live my life for you I would invite you to stand as we lift our hearts to God in prayer. Pam's going to come forward and read the prayers for us. Uh, each petition will end, Holy God, water of life, and our response will be, hear our prayer. Gracious God, we pray for the church. Draw your whole church together as one. Bring an end to division. 
Send your spirit into your people and rouse us to press on toward the goal of greater love in the world. Holy God, water of life, hear our prayer. Gracious God, our hearts are moved as we pray for the earth. May we move boldly now, answering your call to steward this earth and find new solutions to problems that face us so that our children's children may enjoy the bounty you have set for us. Holy God, water of life. Gracious God, our hearts are moved as we recall all those responding to the coronavirus. Give us calm hearts as we make healthy, compassionate choices, driven by care for our families and all those around us, especially those least able to care for themselves. Be with those who are ill or grieving. Grant them peace and healing, always hoping for new life. Holy God, water of life. May we trust you, God, that we are exactly where we are meant to be. Some days the well seems dry. Give us faith, give us wisdom, that we might return to the wellspring of your love, even when life seems to be at its most challenging, and be renewed and refreshed as we drink of your love. Holy God, water of life. Gracious God, give wisdom and servant hearts to those who govern in this every land, that they would hear the cries of the poor and work for the common good of all their constituents. Give us respectful voices and ears to hear those who disagree with us. Guide us all toward a peaceful future. Holy God, water of life. Hear all our prayers this day, O God, spoken and unspoken. We trust them to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. In peace we pray. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Please share a pandemic greeting with one another. Thank you for sharing that greeting of peace. After the service, come on over to the gym. Our time of coffee and cookies and fellowship uh, together. Um, encourage you to do that. There's also Delt Forum today uh, down, uh, down in the fireside room, all the way down the hall to the left, down the fireside room. Uh, every Sunday, the Adult Forum is, uh, starts at 9:10. And um, what are we doing? The secret files of the Inquisition today. Last week for that, Linda? Or, no, one more week after this. So secret files of the Inquisition, adult forum down the hall. Uh, we have a flower chart up uh, out as you go into the Sunwalk room on the left side. I believe that's where it's at. If you'd like to sign up for flowers, people do a variety of things. They 
cut and bring in their own flowers. They have someone else do it for them. They order them from the florist. Any of those things are good. If you have a celebration or would like to take part in that, would encourage you to sign up. The flowers today are from Ellen Edwards. Where's Ellen? Where's Ellen? There she is. She's right here in the second row. And thank you, Ellen, for that. And it's Ellen's birthday tomorrow. So we're one day ahead. Happy birthday, Ellen, to you. Yeah. Deacon Amy, what do you got for us? Good morning. Got good things. Let's see, our elementary students are getting ready to go back to Camp Lutherwood for our 24-hour uh, retreat in March. Sign-up sheet for that is in the gym, and we need to be registered by next Sunday, February 6th. Um, and our high school students are getting ready to go to Holden Village for May Youth Weekend. That's the 19th to 20th in May, and that registration deadline is today. So if you have a high schooler who wants to get in on that trip, come see me today. Uh, youth group meets every Wednesday at 5 o'clock. That's for our 6th to 8th grade students, and we're alternating between Zoom and in-person. This week's meeting will be here at Trinity at 5 on Wednesday, and confirmation class meets next Sunday at 1145. So lots of good things happening. If you have any questions, come and find me. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Amy. Uh, and also in your bulletin, there's lots of information about what's uh, going on at church. So would encourage you in that way as well. Anything else for the good of the order here? Mike? Second thing, someone who's more worldly traveled than I, uh, Taze service, and if you've been to, am I pronouncing that correctly? It's a, yes. a town in France. Taze, okay. So the first Wednesday of every month, there's a Taze prayer. Uh, St. Hubert's is hosting that. It's all of 60 minutes. It's very much kind of on the contemplative side of prayer, so kind of slowing things down a bit. Um, so uh, just wanted to alert you to that. Yeah, it starts at 7 o'clock in 60 minutes. Uh, for those of you who are either Californians or from Green Bank, Thank you, Mike. So that, if you didn't hear that, that's Wednesday night, first Wednesday of each month, 7 o'clock, St. Hubert's uh, Church, a one-hour Taze service, reflection, and prayer. So thank you. And Michael, carpool with you. So uh, thank you for that. Okay. We are going to continue our tour because we're now moving. Uh, the last place we were was in Nazareth. Jesus moving to Capernaum. We're now moving three years ahead. We're all headed to Jerusalem together to this place, to an upper room, uh, where Jesus will celebrate uh, that last supper with his disciples, which has become the celebration of Holy Communion for us. If it's comfortable, I invite you to stand. As we gather here in this place, we remember an upper room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Jesus was gathered there with his disciples, gathered with those who would betray him. And on that night, as they were there together, they sang hymns, they said prayers. And then Jesus took the bread. He took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. They were strange words. The strange words would continue. After supper, Jesus took the cup. And once again, he gave thanks. And then he gave it for all of them to drink saying these words, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. And they drank. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, Jesus Christ has promised to be with us as well this day. We pray now, as Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. 
Our Father, These are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. You'll come down the center aisle to our little Jordan River, and there you'll receive the host. Hold your hand out to receive the host. You may go ahead and consume the host. You'll move out to the next station, which will have individual glasses of wine for your safety. The blood of Christ shed for you. You put the empties in the basket in return. All are welcome, always. Jesus is the host. You may be seated. Come and dine at the table, drink the wine at the table, eat the bread at the table of the Lord. Come and dine at the table, drink the wine at the table, eat the bread at the table of the Lord. On the night before he died, Lord Jesus took some friends aside. Then he told them he would have to go away As they sat around the table Ready, willing, strong and able Jesus broke the bread and then was heard to say Come and dine at the table Drink the wine at the table Eat the bread at the table of the Lord Come and dine at the bread at the table of the Lord. After all the friends had dined, Lord Jesus poured a cup of wine. Giving thanks, he shared the peace. And then, well, he said he'd have to die. And when they asked him why, Jesus passed the cup and told them once again, come and dine table, drink the wine at the table, eat the bread at the table of the Lord. Come and dine at the table, drink the wine at the table, eat the bread at the table of the Lord. Let's 
I'd invite you to stand. Now may the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you now and always. In God's grace. Amen. And now as you prepare to depart from this place, fed and forgiven, go forth from this place of worship, go out those doors and find your own place of service and ministry. And as you go, may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our sending him, we are called. Tell the gospel news. Every-